Whenever you're ready. I'm recording. Welcome to the Wages of Cinema, everybody. Hey, everybody. I'm Jack. Yeah, he's Jack. Yeah, and he's Andrew. All right. We're, we're over here now at the Wages of Cinema. We're uh, glad to have you back listening to us once again. And uh, It's October. Yes. And you know what that means on the Wages of Cinema? We're going to celebrate Columbus Day. Oh, boy. <laughs> he sailed here and killed a lot of oh, Indians. Oh, that's what we should have. We should have watched 1492. <laughs> Conquest of Paradise. That, that actually wouldn't have been a bad idea. What, what was the other Columbus movie that came out around the It was the same called, time? like, Christopher Columbus, The Discovery. And which and, one had uh, Marlon Brando? The the second one. Okay. The, the first one was directed by Ridley Scott. Yeah. And uh, I get now why the trailer was the way it was. Mm. Because with like the spacey sort of noises and the things and I guess uh, <laughs> radio I mean, for, transmissions. Well, for me, I, I I just remember seeing the teaser trailer on my VHS copy of Wayne's World. Yeah, that's what and, I'm talking about. And it, it was just a the whole trailer was just him getting off the boat and his feet like walking on the beach and then he falls to his knees. It's like 1492 conquest of paradise and it's like an alien bursts out of his chest. <laughs> The alien has found and that's, it. You and know, that's how xenomorphs came to America. The funny thing is, though, just that one title um, is called Congress of Paradise. There's, um, you know, they're going to, of course... Can't because, be worse than Prometheus. Well, what I was about to say was they're going to make a sequel of Prometheus 2, but it's not going to be called Prometheus 2, because I think that probably people are, you know, they're a little because wary Because Prometheus of that title. was awful? Yeah, but they're going to call it Alien Paradise Lost. All right. <laughs> Because why not? Sure, um, why not? Sure, but... Uh, Mix up the box sets, why don't you? <laughs> yeah, but as a, there was a segment on the John Oliver show this past... Actually, it was from last year, but it was just called uh, Columbus Day. Why is this still a thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was, I, someone suggested we should probably celebrate Leif Erikson Day. Is that in October? I, I don't know when it is. <laughs> but, I mean, Leif, er- Leif, Leif Erikson... What was he uh, from? He, he was he was a Viking and he helped oh, and he settled okay. some some oh. Vikings in Newfoundland. This is he, one of the first Europeans to to settle it to set foot in America. Here's where you're gonna if you want to be technical. Here's where you're gonna want to slap me from across the table for a second. I was getting him confused with Leif Garrett <laughs> <laughs> because Vikings are always teenage heartthrobs from the 70s, right? <laughs> slap yes. Um, uh, but there's some movie-related stuff we want to talk about. Yeah. We went to the Rift Tracks showing, the encore, actually, of Miami Connection. That's right. We've talked a little... I think we talked a little bit about Miami Connection we, Well, previously. we watched... Well, over the summer, we watched the movie just for fun, because I wanted to see it, and... Uh, and um, it's it's not good at all. No, it's, it's a pretty schlocky movie. It was made... In some way, it was made in the same sort of vein as, like... Birdemic in the sense that the filmmaker wasn't really a filmmaker and he probably didn't have good command of the English language. And you can kind of tell that from the script on. But here's the good, but here's what I think is good about Miami Connection. Okay. It's a bad film. It's horrible. But it's, <laughs> but it's bad for all the right reasons. It's not made in ex- like in a way that you feel bad watching it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's basically inexperience, naivete, 
people who thought they could get together and made, make a movie and gave it their best shot. Yeah. And it has some moments that it's full of like martial artists. These people were actually ma- like Taekwondo black belts and they're really good at Taekwondo. Yeah. They're just not good at making movies. Yeah, exactly. They, uh, uh yeah, I think that they, they went into it with good intentions, but I think I, I even read online, uh, if you go on the INDB page, I swear it almost looks like the trivia was written by the director because oh, it, it almost feels like it's missing certain gaps in the English language, but it talks about how either the director or the, the writer didn't know how to write. And so he had to pick up a book on screenwriting <laughs> because the book has, because the script has such eloquent writing. Like when, uh, that's like Clive Barker. He, he like had a, I think he was doing like a uh, Hellraiser mm-hmm. and he was about to make it. And he wanted to check the book out of the library, like a book on directing and it was out. And he's like, Oh man, I'm, I'm so screwed. I don't even have a book, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, no one made, yeah. no one made a boatload of money off this film. And I no. don't think anyone was like looking to make it. It doesn't feel like anyone was looking to make a quick buck off this. Well, well, they mentioned very briefly in passing at, at the Rift Tracks, one of the guys said that the the director was watching from uh, Orlando of uh, the the feed that they were doing. So yeah. I think he must have just been excited that people were watching his movie. Maybe. You know, some people... Because I mean, the thing was, this movie came out and kind of disappeared for a long time. It's not like this thing has been an underground sensation for years. It, it no. got It got discovered by chance by some guy who worked for uh uh draft house films um the, the the company does the Alamo draft house theater and they watched it and then they screened it and the rest is history but it it, it is a case of something that was like a discovered you know but but i mean you would be kernel. thrilled if the people at rift tracks wanted to do a rift tracks of green eyes you know I enough time has passed that I would I would welcome it. I mean, I'd welcome it. It would be it would be a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you see that movie up there that everyone's laughing at? I know the guy who directed that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that's also like um, I think that the I think that I read an article recently about Manos, The Hands of Fate, and how uh, it was mostly about how the film and I'm not kidding you, has been lovingly restored yeah. from its original master, and now I think there's going to be a Manos Blu-ray put out. And the article talked about how... Finally! Finally! We've been waiting for the full 4K resolution, which, by the way, apparently the by having the movie digitally upgraded, it actually shows more mistakes. Oh, wow. Because you kind of didn't notice things before when because the print was kind of muddy that they were watching in the MST3K episode. Uh, but the kids of Harold P. Warren are like, wow, yeah, I'm, I'm glad this movie's getting some new exposure. I mean, this was a thing that our dad didn't talk about that much. <laughs> uh, it seemed like that dark secret that, <laughs> which, you know, I mean, if you made Manos the hands of fate, I mean, yeah, Manos. At least he's not Tommy Wiseau. No, that's true. He didn't go around like going to like every midnight screening, being like, "I made this movie. Yeah, it's great." Ha, 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 ha. All right, but enough about us. Enough about let's us. We have movies. A- yeah, let's talk about those. Let's talk about those little things that roll through a projector or now run on a computer. Get with the times, Grandpa. Yeah, I'm All like right, Christopher you Nolan. go first. 
Uh, okay. Oh, all right. So, all right. I'm ready. Jack, of course, always goes first because he always sees more movies than I do. Yes, but especially however, this these last two. Well, weeks. well. Also, this week we're gonna have a little bit of a special segment because I watched a lot of movies, but so much so that we're gonna have kind of like a special segment of the two minute movie mile. Uh, that will be called Jack Curb Stomps Andrew with movie watching. That's not bad, actually. All it's right. a little bit violent, so but okay. It's your turn. Get ready. All right. Set. Set. Yeah, I'm ready. Ready? Yeah. Okay. Set. I said I was ready. Right. Ready? <laughs> Go! Are you sure? Okay. Uh, Ridley Scott's The Martian. All right. All right. So I'd ask I, you to go see this movie with this me. This has been blowing up. Um, it's been, well, it's uh, Ridley Scott's return to making a a good, fun movie. This, uh, you know, basically the premise is simple. Matt Damon stuck on Mars. The NASA has to try to find a way to get him back uh, because they, the crew left thinking he was dead, but through a couple of accidents, he wasn't. So, what you know, the great thing in this movie, um, you know, it goes back not not so much even to Gravity, but more so to Apollo 13. Ah. You're watching Apollo 13 was a favorite of mine when I was younger. Well. Uh, the thing about that movie, you know, that whole scene where it's like, all right, I want you to create that using that, using nothing but that. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like most of the movie. It's a lot of creative problem solving. You know, how is Matt Damon going to make a lot of food? How is NASA going to uh, bring him supplies? How are they going to loop back around maybe to pick him up? So you're watching a lot of things. In a weird way, too, I, I thought about this uh just yesterday that remember when we talked about Howard Hawks is the thing yeah. and how it had a lot of things where people were talking and trying to, you know, figure things out constantly. They're trying to keep making plans and not do that. That's what this movie has only with jokes. Oh, it's a right. very, it's a funny movie. And usually you don't think of Ridley Scott as doing humor. Like no. he did matchstick men. And that was amusing. Um, but here, you know, part of it is the script he has the writer Drew Goddard doing the script, and it's a fantastic script from a good book. Um, he directed Cabin in the Woods, and so he brings... You know, Matt Damon is kind of making a lot of jokes at times, so that's another thing that helps. There's real peril. There is real suspense, but he's trying to find the lighter side of it, and that is something that really makes us great. Time. Huh. I think I got all that out in two minutes. Yeah, you did. <sighs> but, yeah, you should see it. All right. You'd be foolish not to. All right. So I don't know where that voice came from. Uh, all right. Ready and go. All right. Hard Boiled by John Woo. Okay. This is my first John Woo film. Your first ever? Yeah. Huh. Oh, wait. Unless Face you count off. Code Talkers. <laughs> uh, but never mind. Wind Talkers. Yeah. Wind okay. Talkers. <laughs> um, so we got here Chow Yun Fat, and there's lots of violence in this movie. Oh yeah, I remember this. Have movie you ever being... fought, have you ever fired two guns whilst flying through the air? Yes, Chow Yun Fat has done that. Well, he's done that more than once. Yeah, uh, that's kind of been the meta of the late '80s Hong Kong action movie. Yeah, and the plot of of Hard Boiled. It's pretty thin. Oh yeah, it, it's nonsense. It's. <laughs> <laughs> but... I don't even remember it. I just remember there's one cop and shot. there's an undercover cop, and lots of people get shot. Yes, and that sounds about right. Lots of, uh, this is something I noted, lots of civilians get shot in this film. Ah. People who aren't even cops or, or criminals. Yeah. Which is something that a lot of films don't uh, don't cover. You know, they don't even entertain the possibility, unless, like, shooting a civilian is a major plot point. 
It's yeah, a, innocent bystanders sometimes get the short shrift in action movies. Yeah, but that's uh, a shame. With this there one, should be more innocent bystanders shot. Yeah, the thing I remember about this movie was that first of all, I thought it was awesome, but secondly, it was awesome because of how how intensely they choreographed the action here. Like, there's yeah, the action is great. I really noticed it. Like, there's a scene that takes place in a chop shop, mm-hmm. chop shop, where a guy jumps through the chassis of a car while he's being shot at with all you know. And there's yeah. and they do that in slow motion. The guy is jumping through the car, and all these sparks are around them. Mm. I normally you just you know go through that at normal speed or slightly faster, but no, they they take their time, so you can notice any mistake, and there are no mistakes there. No, no, and of course there's that one long shot. That follows yeah, that's, Fat going through the it criminals. It seems really long, but it's only about two minutes, and it's it still really longer cool. longer than that. Yeah. Uh, pow, pow. <laughs> okay. What, was, what did you last say? Pow, pow. Oh, pow, pow. Yeah. I have my, my fingers or guns now. All right. I didn't see your fingers. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Next. Your turn. All right. Go. Uh, 99 Homes. Um, this is a new movie uh, with Andrew Garfield and uh, everybody's favorite Frankenstein monster, Michael Shannon. Um, I thought everybody's favorite Frankenstein monster was Robert De Niro. Uh, maybe in your house. Um, this movie is a very serious movie. It's about... It takes place in 2010, but it could just as easily take place now. Uh, it follows uh, people who foreclose homes and people out of their homes. Uh, Andrew Garfield, the star of the movie, his mother's Laura Dern, and he has a son. He gets like evicted out of his house because he... He missed some payments. He's been really trying. He's a construction guy. But then <clears throat> he needs to still make ends meet. He wants to get back his house. Right. So he starts to work for this for the character Michael Shannon plays, who's actually the guy who is like a real estate agent who evicts people. So at first he's just doing construction, but then he kind of makes a deal with the devil, so to speak, and now he's <laughs> or as he's also people known, from there. Michael Shannon. <laughs> Yes, Michael Shannon. Uh, that's my Michael Shannon invitation. Michael um, this is re- it's a morality play, so to speak. Um, it, it follows as Andrew Garfield is really having to deal with, uh, you know, the fact that yeah, I'm now making a lot of money doing this, but at what cost? I mean, I'm I have to kind of still face some of these people sometimes, and it's uh, <clears throat> really dramatically intense. Uh, it's done all kind of in a neo-realistic style. Raman Barani comes from kind of like a neo-realist type of school. So even though you have Michael Shannon and Andrew Garfield there, all the other people are non-actors. They're just people who probably were living in Florida. Um, Michael Shannon, of course, is great. Uh, he's scary at times, but in a way that I think is really effective. And go see this. It's a real, really Die. powerful movie. Yeah, let's dance a little bit when we talk about foreclosures. All right, my next film. <laughs> yes. Um, well, let me just get a quick drink here. Okay, go. Uh, my second John Woo film, A oh, Better wait, wait. Tomorrow. Oh, okay, yeah, and I like this one a lot, too. This one of is his a, earlier films. Well, probably. one of, yeah, one. this is the one that kind of put him on the map, this and A Better Tomorrow, too. Yeah, and I yeah. noticed, you know, we talked a little bit about plot when we talked about Hard Boiled, but this is... Basically the same kind of plot. John, John Woo's scripts, they seem I, a lot like college scripts. There are there was a little more story to A Better Tomorrow than Hard Boiled. It was, if I remember but Hard Boiled bit. was more focused. Better Tomorrow had better characters. There is at least, like, there's a thing where Chow Young-Fat is the criminal, but then there's also, like, a cop. But he's not even the main character. 
Not really, no. He's kind of like the... Yeah, he, he's more like... He, he, he becomes more important as the, sto- as the story goes on. Yeah. But, um, yeah, a lot of but good it, action in this one. But it's all... but. It's really a, a sort of melodrama in a way. Yeah, it, you know, it's about two brothers. One becomes a cop. One's a criminal. The, yes. the criminal goes to jail, and he's trying to, you know, prove himself to his brother, and yeah. you know, from you know, stop from being disowned. And it feels, and this was, uh, it feel, it feels as if Hong Kong at the time was taking all the '80s action films from yeah, Hollywood. That's what they were doing, and then recycling them, but uh-huh. giving them slightly better plots. Yeah, and I mean they're still not good plots, but I mean they they gave they were they, stylish. They gave the action a lot more uh, context. Mm-hmm. I, I have to say that. I mean I don't necessarily like ch- uh, the stories that John Woo does, but still you got to give him credit. Well, the ones that he did in Hong Kong, at least. I can give them a little more slack than some of his American films because at least, you know, back then maybe you could think like, well, maybe he, you know, there's maybe an innocence to them in how they're made. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I got to give him credit for. I, it does seem like a college student was able to choreograph some really good <laughs> gunfights. Yeah. So I can enjoy John Woo films like Time. from that perspective. Okay. Um, just as a side note, um, this, this, isn't, uh, this sort of doesn't have to do with the movie, but I just wanted to mention this, that... Uh, a few years back, um, the Ridgefield Park Cineplex, they used to play, uh, like, Korean movies and stuff. and But they would also play some other foreign movies. They would play, like, a Jackie Chan movie that would only play at that theater. It wouldn't play, like, anywhere else in the area. But it would be a new movie. So, one, one, one weekend, I suddenly see, like, in my paper, oh, wait a minute, they're playing a Better Tomorrow there? That's awesome! I want to see Better Tomorrow on the big screen! And I go there... And it takes me a few minutes sitting in the theater suddenly realize, wait a minute, this is the remake. What? <laughs> Somebody remade a better tomorrow. And <laughs> I mean, it was an okay remake, but it was just like, man, you couldn't even try. Uh, all right. So that was me getting uh, hoodwinked, you could say. Um, all right. All right. Well, better luck next time. Yeah. Go. All right. Uh, Bridge of Spies. Uh, Tom this, Hanks. Yeah, Tom Hanks. This actually technically opens Friday, but whatever. I got to see an early screening. I can talk Jack's about it. Jack's got connections. Yeah, and it's called Alamo Drafthouse. Um, yeah, so this movie is, uh, in a way, it's interesting that, um, you know, I brought up The Martian just a little bit ago and how uh, that was a serious movie that used humor to help le- alleviate, alleviate some moments and things. And this movie is also very suspenseful at points. Um, it's a little bit more serious. It takes place during the Cold War, and uh, it involves this guy, this Russian spy, who uh, is uh, arrested. But he, Tom Hanks, is just an insurance lawyer, but he's brought on to defend him. And it's like Tom, the great thing is that Tom Hanks' character, he's like, I don't care what you've done, per se, but I want to just give you a good defense. You know, you you deserve that. This is America, and everybody is telling him, "What are you kidding? He's a commie." Throw him away. Throw the book at him. And Tom Hanks is like, what? No. You know, we got to defend this guy. Why am I even here? So, in a way, it's almost kind of like two movies, though, because that's the first half. And then the second half of the movie, uh, this American pilot is shot down in Russia, and uh, the, the, the CIA wants to do kind of like this prisoner swap. So And they want Tom Hanks to be kind of the guy to help broker the deal. Um, and so, yeah, it's... You know, sometimes with Spielberg, you kind of expect some action, or you, but this is more about just 
sitting and waiting and talking and mm. negotiating. Tom Hanks it makes it extremely convincing because he's somebody who you could tell his character he genuinely cares and he's always trying to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, obviously, you know, people make comparisons to Tom Hanks is like today's Jimmy Stewart. And in this movie, that's really spot on, but in a good way. Like Tom Hanks is a big reason to see this. It's a very entertaining spy movie. Time. All right. Listen, Senior Spielbergo, I want you to direct this like no other movie I've ever seen. That's my baddest friends. Yeah, no, Sheila is a muy bueno, Mr. Bourne's uh, no bueno. I want to talk about my next movie. Come on. All right, go. Uh, it's Alive. Okay. Directed by Larry Cohen. I have heard of this movie. I have not seen it. I've heard of Larry Cohen. I am not sure what to think of this movie. Well, because t- tell me about what is it about? All right. It's Alive is about a couple, uh, the wife is about to have a baby, and when she gives birth to the baby, it kills all the doctors in the delivery room. (laughs) I don't don't mean that metaphorically. No, it it kills them. Pretty brutally, actually. Like like in that scene in Spider-Man 2, where Doc Ock kills all the people in the I've never seen Spider-Man 2. Anyway, (sighs) it's got a score by Bernard Herrmann. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. And okay. And the, the weird thing about this, it has this very sedate start where it's just like, oh, the baby's coming. We're going to the hospital. And it's like 10 minutes of that where everybody's just calm. Nothing weird happens. Okay. And nothing exciting happens even. It's like people talk and you're like, well, I know what's going to happen. So, <laughs> so it's a demon baby. No, not necessarily. It's kind of like a science demon baby okay it's where it comes from is not important but the so it becomes a slasher movie with the baby as the killer almost it's, so does the it's baby hard. grow up quickly no <laughs> <laughs> i don't blame you for having all these questions but <laughs> it's <laughs> it's but the but the real heart of the story is this couple dealing with the aftermath the baby gets out of the mother's womb and just runs away Okay. And there's a hunt for it, and the father is tr- denying that it's his child and trying to den- put the whole thing out of his mind. Just he just wants it dead and everything. And it's not just it's not just about demon baby. It's like these people trying to live with the fact that they gave birth to this killer baby. We don't even know if it is a baby. Right. Which- <laughs> oh man. Uh, time. <laughs> that sounds nuts. Hey. Yeah, actually, Larry Cohen may come up briefly in another movie. I All talk right, about but whatever. Now it's your turn. All right, this is my last regular movie before I get into the other segment. So okay, go. Uh, Black Mass. Um, All right, Johnny Depp. Yeah. Now you could almost say, in a slight way, this is a horror movie because John- Johnny Explain. Depp. Well, Johnny Depp plays Whitey Bulger, uh, the famous uh, Boston uh, gang mob leader. And uh, the head of the, oh, I'm going to blank on the, forget, it was like the Winter Hill Mob, I think. And as the movie goes on, like, it's funny because the movie sort of shows that he goes through some personal tragedies. And yet, what I liked was that not it doesn't show, it doesn't try to put him in a sympathetic light. Like, from the start of the movie, he's basically a monster. But through these tragedies like his he has a kid that dies and then his mother dies Mm -hmm. and through these he becomes like more monstrous as it goes on like there's one shot where like they he has like this bald cap and they gave him like light blue contacts and there are times where he looks vampiric he looks more vampiric than in dark shadows 
Um, I mean, there is a lot to this movie. It is kind of an ensemble. It's as much about uh, this FBI agent, John Connolly, who grew up with Whitey Bulger. And it charts how uh, John Connolly kind of became corrupted because he he wanted to try to use Whitey Bulger to help get like the Italian mob in Boston. But the price that sort of paid was that Whitey Bulger basically just ran roughshod over the whole city, practically. And John Connolly was just kind of left with like, well, I mean, he's not doing anything that wrong. I mean, you know, and he became kind of like a bitch to the FBI. (laughs) Um, Lots of entertaining performances here. I mean, Johnny Depp, it is his return to doing good acting. Uh, There's one scene where he's intimidating another FBI agent that is just a showstopper. Joel Edgerton's in the cast. There are a whole lot of people I could rattle off. Kevin Bacon, Corey Stoll, um, uh, Dakota Johnson's in the scene. There are a lot of people... But it's it's not bad. It's not great, but it's good. Time. Yeah. That, that's a good review, isn't it? It's not bad. It's not great, but it's good. Whatever you say, Jack. <laughs> that, that could be a pod- yeah. name of a podcast. 